0: Let me encourage you to open up a Bible and flip to Genesis chapter 11. Uh, we have been, this has been a series on uh, Genesis uh, focusing on May, chapters 4 through 11, but we started a little before that and we're going to end a little after that this morning. This will be our last sermon in, in this series in Genesis uh, we're, I'm going to pick up at uh, chapter 11, verse 27, and then I'm going to read through chapter 12, verse 9. Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, through Genesis 12, verse 9. Let's prepare our minds and hearts for the reading of God's word. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. So Abram went, as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, all the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and I on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. This is the word of God. Here here we come to the, uh, as I mentioned, the last sermon of our series in chapters 1 through 11, and back in in, uh, when we started with chapter four, I sort of laid out some of the main things we see happening in this section of scripture, chapters four through 11. First, we see the spread of the human population. And second, we see the spread of sin within that human population. But third, we see the gracious determination of God to renew and fulfill his promise to bless and bring redemption to sinful humanity. And one, one writer sums up these ideas and these chapters as getting the, as, as seeking to get this point across, that as long as humanity is without God, humanity is without hope. Humanity is without hope, as so long as humanity is without God and apart from uh, God being determined to renew his promise to bless humanity, the picture we see is they just would be overcome, covered over in the avalanche of their sin. And in these chapters, we've seen the darkness of sin and its corrupting power in God's good creation and in God's image bearers. And, uh, you know, we don't have to look into these chapters in Genesis to see it. We see it in our world. We see it in ourselves sometimes. And there's plenty of darkness. And we need God's light. We need the light of God. And the the gracious promise uh, of God is this, that the light has shined into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That is the hope of the gospel. That is the hope of God's promise, is to, to bring his blessing back into this world, to bring the light and the truth of his love and grace, to bring redemption, to shine into the darkness and conquer it. And in Genesis chapter 12, we see the next step forward in that, the next beam of light in God's plan of redemption and in his gracious determination to bless. And in fact, uh, Galatians 3 uh calls this the gospel announced in advance to Abraham. And already earlier in chapter three we saw uh, that gospel promise in broader terms where it's promised that through the offspring of the woman the offspring the, the serpent would be defeated. And now in chapter twelve we, we that's further specified and identified where that promise of redemption will come through Abram's offspring ultimately the true offspring of Abram, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal King, the Savior. And this call to Abram, whose name will be changed to Abraham then, marks a transition in in the book of Genesis uh, where um, prior to that the focus has been on uh, humanity and God's creating of humanity, and now the focus is, is, it becomes on Abram and his descendants, and God's creating of Israel, the nation of Israel, which would be His source of blessing and redemption to the world, to all humanity, and uh, this redemptive plan then finds its beginnings here. There's three things we see. In this, uh, we see God's call, we see God's promise, and we see Abram's faith. God's call, God's promise, and Abram's faith. And God's call, then, it, it, you know, it most basically summarized in one word Go. Verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go. Most basically summed up in one word. And Abram, we 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 read in the the background in chapter eleven. He's from Ur of the Chaldeans, and his family had migrated to. Haran and settled there. His father dies there. And, uh, then verse one, we read the call, which probably, uh, which initially came when he was in Ur. Maybe it came again, uh, when he was then in Haran. The call is to go. And this call to go as two sides go from And go to, and go from, God calls Abram out of his former life, and go to, this uh, go to calls Abraham into a new life, a new life of faith which follows God's voice wherever it leads and whatever the cost. Go from. We read that this go calls Abram out of his former familiar life. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. From your country, your people, your father's household, those things represent everything that would be uh, the, the the source of security and identity in that time and place for Abram. You know, in our day and age, it's very common for children to leave their families, relocate far distances for various reasons. In that day, these things were much more significant sources of identity and security, and leaving those things represents a significant forsaking. Abraham's called to leave will be every marker of identity, every source of security, every bit of familiarity. Family, geography, culture, all those things were tied up in Abram's call, and he's called to leave, to forsake them. And in fact, even beyond that, uh, religion. (laughs) Abram's family uh, is steeped in idolatry. Uh, there are some hints in the, this uh, in, in this chapter that we read. Ur and Haran were known uh, centers of moon worship. Uh, it's uncertain, but it may be that some of the names in Abram's family reflect that commitment to moon worship. Uh, but whether that's the case or not, it, in Joshua 24, verses 2 and 3, we read, Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him through Canaan and gave him many descendants so abram's call to go from is is not only to forsake familiarity earthly security a sense of identity it's a call to forsake idolatry it's a call to forsake his sin and the the life of faith the the call to follow god always involves being called to forsake sin the life of faith is always at the same time a life of repentance it's a call to embrace the true worship of the true and living God and commit oneself to him and to forsake false worship idols of the heart and sin in our lives and aren't you glad for that That is the message of God's grace. It's his gracious call in our life which comes to us in our darkness, blindness, ignorance, arrogance, rebellion, and calls us out of that darkness into his marvelous light, as the Apostle Peter puts it, into life and freedom, and as we'll see, into his blessing. The call to go from is the call of faith to forsake. And the call to go to, the other side of that, is the call of faith to follow wherever God leads us. God calls Abram into a new life of faith in which he's called to follow God wherever he leads. We'll come back to that later when we look at Abram's response of faith. But I hope you can see that God's call of Abram isn't all that different from God's call on us, right? From Jesus' call to us who would seek to be his disciples, that whoever wants, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. That's Jesus' call on our lives. And it's the call to forsake, to to turn away from self and sin to deny ourselves all that we were, our former uh, way of life, everything we put our trust or hope in, our source of security or identity, that which was familiar or easy or comfortable or known, to take up our cross, that's the call to repentance. And it's the call of faith to deny ourselves, take up our cross, to turn away from and forsake and The call, too, to follow him, to go where he leads us, to obey where he commands, to follow wherever he leads. And certainly this call appears to be, feels as if it is an obligation, and in some ways it is. It is a sacrifice, the greatest sacrifice we can make, but it leads, as Jesus promises, it leads to life. It leads out of darkness into light. It leads out of slavery into freedom. Out of misery into joy. Out of death into life. Because life isn't in sin. Don't believe the deceitfulness of sin that tells us that life is in it. For Abraham, everything according to his sight would tell him that life was in Her- Ur of the Chaldeans. Life was in Haran. It's not. Life for Abram was in following God's call where he leads. Life for us is in following God's call out of sin, walking by faith. Life is in Christ. And in fact, God's call God's first and last words to Abram. Here, first words, chapter 22, last words. His first and last words to Abraham are calls to costly obedience. Here to leave his home, go to an unknown land. Then in chapter 22, to offer the costliest obedience of sacrifices as a test of faith his son his only son whom he loves Isaac the one through whom the promise was to come both calls to radical obedience with many similarities and echoes between them that are meant to echo each other and both times Abram obeys God's call Abraham certainly wasn't perfect, but this is giving us a picture of his life from beginning to end was characterized by faithful obedience to God's call. God's call. Second thing we see is God's promise. God's call comes with his promise. When God calls us to follow him, as we've seen, and uh, Jesus called to us, he promises us life, blessing, blessing that comes through following his call. And when we believe that promise, we can obey that call. God promises Abraham uh, to sum up these these promises of God in one word, the central word, the word that occurs five times in those two verses of verse 2 and 3, blessing. That's the central way to summarize these promises of God to Abram. Blessing and blessing really uh, outside of these two verses is not, not just central in these two verses, but central in the book of Genesis. Uh, it, the word blessing occurs eighty eight times in the book of Genesis, more frequently than in any other part of the Old Testament. Blessing is uh, is central uh, to the to the, to this, and was. Uh, God's blessing was of utter significance, right? And, you know, we need to to remember that because sometimes in our day and age, the word blessing or the idea of blessing uh, has uh, connotations of superficiality attached to it or self-centeredness attached to it, thought of in shallow terms of luck or success, but in the Bible, the idea of blessing is much more, is much deeper than that, much more significant than that. And uh, certainly God's blessing is seen in uh, outward prosperity and human and well being, uh, but it's far deeper than that. It's God Himself who is not only the source of any other thing that can be called blessing in this life. He's the source of it all, the one who gives it from his gracious hand. But it's God himself who is the deepest of, every, of all blessings, who is the ultimate, the highest blessing, God himself, and enjoying fellowship with him. There's nothing more significant, nothing more necessary for us in this life than him, than the blessing of God in our lives, of God's love, of God's presence, of God's friendship, of God's fellowship, of God's favor, of peace and joy and life that comes from knowing God. These are all the things that God built into his world and infused his creation with in the beginning. But we're lost by sin, right? And, and this is another way to think of a, a sort of a theological outline of the book of Genesis and really the whole story of redemption, God's blessing given at the beginning, right? Where in the beginning God created light and life and God made us for, uh, to, to have life and joy in him who is the source of life and joy, Blessing given, but then in the fall into sin, blessing lost. (laughs) Where sin robs us of God's blessing because sin separates us from that source of blessing God and brings slavery, misery, shame, guilt, and death. But that's not the end of the story. Blessing given, blessing lost, blessing renewed. Blessing renewed. God's grace comes to renew his blessing, which is ultimately the spiritual blessings of his redemption through Jesus. Forgiveness, cleansing, adoption as children of God, resulting in a renewed relationship of love and peace with God forever. That's blessing. And these blessings promised to Abram are ultimately seen and fulfilled through christ in this in these two verses there's a fourfold promise of blessing and uh first we see the blessing of being made into a great nation and that would be come the nation of israel god's people in the old covenant second we see the blessing of being given a great name and if you remember from last week, the, the people in the, the tower incident, uh, they sought to make a name for themselves. And the result of that is they are only get a, a name of shame and, and humiliation for themselves. but now God graciously promises Abram a great name. And normally in Scripture, only God's name is described as great. Uh, but the exception to that uh, is uh, the king, and particularly David. And in, uh, David is promised, similarly to Abram here, David, King David is promised a great name by God. And David, who would become the great king of God's nation, and through whom was promised the descendant who would be the eternal king, of God's people with the name above all names, Jesus. The third thing we see is the, the blessing of God's protection, where God says in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. Uh, you know, to, I, the, the best way to sum this up in, in my mind, this, this promise is uh, don't mess with God's chosen children. That's the idea. And Abram, then, you know, by this, by this uh, promise, is given the heads up that he's going to, he, he can expect some people to bless him, and he can expect some people to curse him. He can expect some to love him, some to hate him, some to support him, some to oppose him. And we then, you know, expect no different, but we keep following God because God's promise is that whatever happens, God's promise is that he's with Abram, that he's for Abram. And this promise emphasizes the closeness of the relationship between Abraham and God. God's concern for Abram's ultimate welfare and his determination to intervene and act on Abraham's behalf To sum it up, in uh, the words in Romans chapter eight, if God is for us, who can be against us? Because no matter what we encounter, whether we encounter those who are uh, who love us or hate us, who support us or oppose us as God's children, we know that God is for us, and that God holds us in His hands, and that He is uh, will bring about our ultimate. Welfare, he will bring us, his children, into eternal glory, whatever hardships they may pass through in this life. God is for us, who can be against us. Fourth, the promise that Abram would be a source of blessing. And this picks up on the last phrase of verse 2. Uh, it may be translated, you will be a blessing, but it could simply be translated as uh, uh, an imperative, be a blessing. And it's specified then at the end of verse 3, well, to whom? (laughs) All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see, Abraham is the recipient of God's blessing, but he is called, he must be more than just a recipient of God's blessing. He must be a transmitter of that blessing because when God blesses us, he desires that we then become a source of his blessing to others. And maybe you've, you've heard this, um, you know, the, the Dead Sea. It's called the Dead Sea because it's dead. that No life can live in it. Water flows into it, but not out of it. It collects there, evaporates, leaves behind minerals like salt, and to the degree that it's so salty, it's toxic, it can't sustain life. Water flows in, but not out. And you see... <laughs> When God's blessing flows into our life, it's not meant to just be, just remain there. It's meant to turn us into vehicles of sources of blessing, of God's life and blessing to those around us. God blesses Abraham so that he can be a source of blessing. And to whom? Verse 3, to all people's on earth. And we looked at this at length last week, uh, that this is the answer to the division and scattering of peoples and nations, the result of God's judgment on sin. Now we see that his blessing, that as far and wide and diverse as the nations and peoples of the earth have become, so far and wide will God's blessing of redemption reach. God calls Abram, And God promises to make Abram into a nation, not because he's unconcerned with all the nations, but out of his concern for the nations. God calls Abram, one person, uh, to become one nation, to reach all nations. The call and promise of Abraham is God's answer to the sin and scattering that we've seen up to this point. And that plan ultimately comes about through jesus god chose one person to become one nation to be a blessing to all nations and as we read the rest of that uh, the bible story that as that one person does become one nation but that nation fails <laughs> and that people of god gets narrower and narrower and eventually becomes focused on one person jesus And from that one person, the one who is the true offspring of the woman who would conquer the serpent, God's blessing and salvation comes to all people. And Galatians chapter three, which I mentioned before, says much about this, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. And that if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. It's not being a physical descendant of Abraham, but being in Christ through faith that makes one a child of God. And that promise through Christ, the gospel is for all peoples everywhere. This blessing then is further specified in verse 7 by two specific things for Abraham. Uh, he says, "God appears to Abraham and says, in verse seven, "To your offspring, I will give this land." There's two things: To your offspring, I will give this land, offspring and land." And the New Testament, as the, the story unfolds, uh, what, we, what we see is that the promise of descendants and land wasn't ultimately about descendants and land at least in a physical sense it wasn't ultimately about physical descendants and physical land but those things were a shadow of the of the reality spiritual descendants of faith and a heavenly home the true promised land and God's call then we see comes with God's promise And when we believe that promise, we'll respond to that call with faith and obedience and worship. And that's what we see, God's call. We've seen, second, God's promise. Third, God's response. Sorry, Abram's response. Abram's response, first we see the response of faith. Remember, there's two specific things. This promise is is, uh, uh, identified with offspring and, and land and so it's no coincidence though then that in this passage we're presented with two specific obstacles to those two specific promises the first promise offspring is met with the first obstacle chapter 11 verse 30 now sarai abram's wife was childless because she was not able to conceive you see abram's promised offspring to be made into a great nation but he's childless and he and his wife can't conceive and this will be a continuing source of struggle and tension in the story but you see then how it's an it would be an obstacle to faith and in, in being able to believe that promise that promise which by uh, by sight seems utterly impossible but abram is called to live not by faith but by not by sight but by faith in God's word. And the second uh, promise is land. And the second obstacle to that promise is chapter 12, verse 6. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. God is promising Abram this land uh, that's already occupied by people. Uh, by all appearances, again, God's promise seems impossible. But Abram is called to live, not by sight but by faith in God's word and though the form of it was different for Abram than for us the essence of it is the same we hear God's voice in God's word and we're called to live not by sight but by faith in God's word even when by all appearances God's truth or God's promises seem impossible and many times they do What God says is true sometimes just doesn't seem like it could be true to our sight. But by faith, we believe it. What God promises will be true sometimes doesn't seem like it could possibly be fulfilled. It seems like an impossible promise by sight. But by faith, we believe it. We live by faith, not by sight. His call, remember, was to go, and we see uh, the rest of that call in verse 1, go to the land, I will show you. Go to the land, I will show you. And Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter which focuses on the examples of faith of God's people, uh, which gives more verses to Abraham than any other, uh, who really that is portrayed as a supreme example of faith, among the Old Testament saints, much of the, the fact of his faith uh, be, is, is seen in the, that he, he obeyed this call even when he did not know where he was going. Go to the land I will show you. Hebrews chapter 11 uh, picks up on this, that when he obeyed God's call... He needed faith because he didn't know where he was going. By faith, Abraham, Hebrews says, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in a promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the promise for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God you see again again we see that the promise of land wasn't ultimately about physical land it was about the true eternal promised land and Abram is pictured as, as, as a stranger in a strange land, no permanent home, setting up tents and wandering about with nothing except God's voice to lead him. And he follows it wherever God's voice leads him. And we are, uh, are the same, right? Right? This world is not our home. We are strangers in a strange land, wandering in a temporary dwelling, simply following God's voice wherever he leads until he leads us home. We see Abram's faith. We see Abram's obedience. In simplest terms, his response of obedience in verse 4, So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And uh, the, the call in verse one is uh, from God. God's call is, Abram, go. And the very same word then sums up Abram's response. Abram went. <clears throat> as the Lord told him, reminiscent of the descriptions of Noah's obedience, uh, as the Lord had commanded him. Now, Abram is responding with that same obedient faith because faith evidences itself in obedience hearing god's word alone isn't obedience but hearing it and trusting it enough to do it that is obedience and abram's response of faith then is this is is his response of obedience because his obedience is the evidence of his faith and his faith is the basis for his obedience we see his response of faith, obedience, and finally, we see his response of worship. Twice in this, in this passage, as Abram is wandering through the land promised to him, we read that he builds an altar. And then one, one time we read that he calls upon the name of the Lord. His response is worship. And uh, in contrast to sinful humanity that we've seen through chapters 4 through 11, who builds cities, Uh, and we saw that done in uh, uh, Cain building a city in rebellion against God. We see the the people at Babel building a, a city and a tower in exaltation of self. Sinful humanity builds cities. Abram builds altars and calls upon the name of the Lord to worship the God who redeemed him. We see this in verse 7. We see this in verse 8. It's a reminder of Enoch, who were described uh, as uh, walking faithfully with God. It's a reminder of uh, when, uh, in chapter 4, when uh, God's people call upon the name of the Lord, Abram's presented in the same way, building an altar and calling on the name of the Lord. Abram lives a life of worship, worship of the God who redeemed him. And that's what our lives ought to be, lives of worship, worship of the God who redeemed us. A life that forsakes all else, follows God's voice and obeys and believes and expresses God's greatness and worthiness from the heart in worship. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that we would hear your voice in your word. We pray that you would give us faith to respond in faith to your promises We pray that we would follow you wherever you lead. We pray that we would forsake our sin, find life in Christ. And Father, let us live lives of worship which seek to exalt your name. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.